You know the difference in in-laws and outlaws, don't you? Outlaws are wanted. <laughs> yeah, just a little, just a little innocent father-in-law joke there. Y'all take a deep breath. It'd be all right. It'd be all right. <laughs> I was asking some of the guys before church. They didn't think I had the guts to tell this from the pulpit, so I'm going to do it. Just, I asked them, I said, why is it in a marriage that the woman tra traditionally does all the cooking? They said, I don't know. And I said, because the law requires you to feed your prisoner. <laughs> just a joke, just a joke. Don't nobody leave, it's just a joke. <laughs> I know one thing, if my wife didn't do the cooking, I'd be about 60 pounds lighter, I can tell you that. We were talking about how pitiful we'd look if our wives didn't do the cooking. Praise the Lord for my wife's good cooking. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. All right, if you got your Bible, turn to John chapter number nine tonight. John chapter number nine. Again, we're so grateful for each and every one of you being here tonight. We look forward to spending this time with you. We look forward to just loving on you a little bit. Thanksgiving is a, is a, uh, is a fun season. It's a fun season if you've got family to spend it with, you've got friends to spend it with. If not, it's not so much fun. But we want to let you know that our, that our church loves you. We, 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 love, we love people. We love everybody. Uh, we love, uh, especially love the, the Baltimore Rescue Mission, the Karis House. And uh, amen. We have a special, special place. You've got a special place in our hearts. And we, we're grateful for the time that we've been able to spend with you. I, I, I saw one man, and I didn't get his name, but he had a chicken graveyard in front of him about that big. And I leaned over and I said, do you need anything? He said, I need about three more chicken breasts. That's what he said. My soul, I don't know where he was putting it in his pockets or what, but he, he loaded down on chicken, amen. And Baptist preachers, we like chicken. We like chicken. I, I, I told him, I said, this is not a belt. This is a fence around a chicken graveyard right here. <laughs> Brother Bittner, I figured out why Baptist preachers eat chicken so much. Ever since that rooster crowed and told on Peter, we tried to kill every chicken we can find. <laughs> Amen. Are you in John chapter number nine? This, this chapter deals with an amazing story. Just to summarize it, there was a man that was blind from his birth, according to verse number one. And in this story, um, God changed his life. J Jesus healed him. And this whole chapter is a story surrounding that and all the drama that, that, that was a result of this man and his, his meeting with the Lord Jesus. And in verse number one, it says, Jesus passed by, saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. Of the world. And when he had thus spoken, look at verse number six, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. 
What a story. What, a, what an amazing story. That to me is amazing. What happened in these, just these few verses right here. Jesus spat on the ground. We had a preacher here uh, uh, last week, a week before last, preaching about another blind man. The Bible says Jesus spit in his eyes. Just spit right in his eyes. Let him out of town and spit in his eyes. But Jesus in this story spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and then he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he went and washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And the Bible says in verse 7, he came seeing. That's the first seven verses. The rest of the chapter is the drama that resulted in this man getting his eyesight back. Let me just say this, by the way. If you're here this evening and you've been saved by the grace of God, I guarantee you, you could stand up and testify tonight that you had family, you had friends, you had co-workers that liked you better before you got saved than they did after you got saved. Amen. Some of you, since you got saved, uh, you go to the family reunion now and you're the stick in the mud. Amen. How many of you say, preacher, I'm, I'm a stick in the mud at my family reunion. Absolutely. They, they liked you better when you was high. They liked you better when you was stoned. They liked you better when you was drunk. They liked you better when you was broke. They liked you better when you didn't have nothing and couldn't do nothing for yourself and you get saved and God begins to work in your life and begins to change your life and boy, it creates all kind of drama, don't it? That's all right. That's nothing new. It's always been that way. I'm amazed at people that reject Christ, refuse to get saved, refuse to allow God to work in their life because they're worried about what their friends or their family is going to do. And there's going to be a lot of people in hell because they let their friends and their family talk them out of letting God do something in their life. The drama in this story is unbelievable. And I began to read this chapter uh, yesterday and today. I just read it and, and, and there's a word in there that, that just keeps popping up in the conversation. And it is the word no, K-N-O-W. This word just keeps popping up. It's like seven or eight times in this story where they're just asking all these questions and they're making all these dogmatic statements. We finally get down to around verse number 25 and they asked the blind man, we know this man's a sinner, talking about Jesus, and he said, whether he be a sinner or no, or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen. And all through this story, everybody is talking about everything that they know. And I want to preach for just a few minutes tonight on this thought, knowing all the wrong things. Knowing all the wrong things. As I begin to study this story, I realized that this chapter was filled with people that considered themselves to be experts, but at the end of the day, they didn't know the one thing that they needed to know. These Pharisees, by the way, that, by the way, when the Bible tells us his neighbors came in verse number eight, and when they saw that he had, him that had been blind, they said, it's not this he that sat and begged. And the Bible says they took him, brought him to the Pharisees in verse number 13. Pharisees were experts. They were the religious elite of that day. They knew the law. They knew, they knew the scriptures like the back of their hands. They knew all the do's and the don'ts and the traditions and everything. Uh, uh, and they, were, they, they knew a lot of things about a lot of things. And they took him to this man. And I began to realize as I read this story that there was a lot of people in this, in this story that thought they knew a lot of things, but at the end of the day, they didn't know anything. 
as I just begin to make a list, I begin to go down through here, it, it starts in verse number two. The disciples just knew that this man was blind because of sin, either his or his parents. They said, this man, who did sin? This, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Well, that was a little presumptuous, don't you think? But yet they knew he was blind because of sin. It had to be because he sinned or his parents sinned. The Bible talks about sin being passed down to the third and fourth generation. They figured maybe his parents did something wrong. God judged them by giving them a son that was blind. But Jesus said, no, this man hadn't sinned, nor his parents. That's not why he's blind is because of that. But they just knew that he was blind because of sin. And then in verse number 13, the people didn't know where Jesus was, but I thought it was interesting that they knew where the Pharisees were. Well, that'll preach for about a month. They said, I, they don't know. They, verse number 12, they said, where is he? He said, I know not. So they brought him to the Pharisees. They had no trouble finding them, did they? Number, verse number 16, the Bible says the Pharisees asked him in verse 15 how he received his sight. He said unto them, I put clay upon my eyes and I washed and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man's not of God. This is the experts talking. By the way, you need to watch the experts. Watch the experts. They said, this man's not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They were all wrong. And the Bible says in verse number 17, they said to the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he's a prophet. He thought he was a prophet. He just knew he was a prophet. Had to be a prophet to do what he did. Verse number 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They didn't even believe it was him. It's, it's, it's amazing. In verse number eight, the neighbors knew it was him. The Pharisees are now in a state of denial. This cannot be happening. All right, this is not real. We go get his parents. They said they asked his parents in verse number 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. They said, we know it's him. It's our son. Everybody knows everything. Everybody knows a whole bunch of stuff. Let's keep reading. Verse number 21, they said, by, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Are you ready for this one? This blind man's parents knew all the rules and knew all the parameters about being in the synagogue and they knew that if they vouched that this man that healed their son was Christ, that they'd get thrown out of the synagogue. Everybody knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Are y'all getting this? Imagine being more concerned about being thrown out of the synagogue than your son getting healed. Been blind all of his life. That's messed up. Dysfunctional families is all through the Bible, by the way. Verse number uh, 24, the Bible says, they again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. We know that the man that healed you, we know he's a sinner. Never met him, never talked to him, never, never heard him speak or heard him preach, but we know he's a sinner. Give God the praise. Well, in verse number 25, he answered, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I love that line. And they said unto him in verse number 26, what did he to thee? How open he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. 
Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Do you want me to lay it out for you? Let me give you more details. Are you interested in following him? And the Bible says in verse 28, they reviled him. You're out of your mind. Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Look at verse 29. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. See, everybody knows a lot about everything. Here's what I want to here's what I want to say tonight. Pharisees knew more about the scripture than anybody there. Can I say it? They knew more intellectually about God than anybody there. They knew more about the law. They knew more about the commandments of God. They knew more about, can I say it? They knew more about religion. We got people today that have spent their whole life studying Christianity. They have read their Bible. They have prayed every day. They have studied churches and religions and denominations. And and they're very dogmatic when they start talking about church. They're dogmatic when they start talking about preachers. You know, because every preacher is just like Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker, all right? And we, we, I know all how the preachers are, all right? I know how they are. I I know how those churches are. I know what they're up to. I know what they're trying to do. They know about God. They know about the church. They know about Jesus. They know about religion. They know... Everything about everything, but they don't know anything about the one thing that they ought to know about. And this man in this story right here, I love it because he says, you know what? Y'all are the experts. I'm paraphrasing. Y'all are the experts. Y'all have all the degrees. You have all the education, all the training. I don't know anything. All I know is this. This morning when I got up, I was blind. Now I've got sight. Guess what? He knew more than they did. He knew more than they did. They knew about everything and everybody. Here's what they didn't know about. They didn't know what it was like for God Almighty to reach down and touch them and radically transform their life. They did not know about that. He did. He did. People today are so intimidated by what they don't know. And let me just go ahead and make you feel better. Nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything. And I don't care how long you study that Bible, there's a lot in there that we will never know. Sometimes when I'm getting up a message, I'll come to a verse, and I'll read that verse four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, and I think, man, I don't understand what that verse is talking about. And then I remember, oh, I got some commentaries in there. So I get up and go in there and dig through the commentaries, open it up, blow the dust off of it. I find the, I find the chapter, and it's hard because they always have all the chapters and verses in Roman numerals. I don't know why they do that trying to figure out what those X's and I's and V's are. Finally figure out the chapter. I follow it, follow it till I get all the way to the verse I'm looking for and guess what? They skipped it every single time. They didn't know what it was talking about either. Come on. Well, I could get rich selling commentaries if I could leave half the stuff out that I didn't understand. There's a lot of people don't know a lot of things about the Bible. They don't know all the answers. I love the, 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 the prophet Daniel. God was giving him the prophecy of Daniel. And at the end of the book, he said, Lord, he's writing all this down. He's writing down the book of Daniel. He's writing it down. He said, Lord, I'm paraphrasing. Lord, I don't understand what I'm writing. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying. God said, don't worry about it. Going back to the house. That's exactly what he said. So preacher, what in the world are you saying? I'm saying there's a lot of people that knows a lot of things 
but they don't know the one thing that they need to know. And that is the touch of God that will transform their life. These Pharisees went back home and they had all their degrees, they had all their, they had all their training, they had all their, all their knowledge, their head knowledge, but they missed an opportunity to have a one-on-one personal head-on collision confrontation with the Son of God. I started making a list for the angel of just some of the things that this blind man knew that nobody else in this story knew. He got to know, verse number one, that God will pass by his way and stop what he's doing just for one person. That's verse number one. He knew what it was like in verse number six for the hand of Almighty God to reach down and to anoint his eyes. Nobody else got to experience that. He knew in verse number seven what it was like for the Son of Man to speak to him directly. He knew what it was like to be blind one minute and have perfect vision the next. He knew what it was like to experience the joy and the happiness and the miracle of sight after a lifetime, the Bible says, of blindness. He knew what it was like to feel the hand of God upon him that produced such a radical change that everybody around him, his neighbors, saw it and knew what had happened. He knew what it was like to experience the love and the warmth of God when everybody else, according to verse number 34, had cast him out. The Bible says in verse number 34, they cast him out of the synagogue. How do you like that? Can I just say this? There's a lot of places today, churches, I'm using that term loosely, churches, places of worship, There's a lot of places where blind people are a lot more welcome than people that can see. (laughs) It's amazing how many people we come to that come to our church from other churches. You know what they say? It just got very awkward. It got very uncomfortable. We were asking questions, and nobody else had the answers. We were just asking questions. We were asking the wrong questions. Our questions didn't line up with their wokeness. And I tell people, I says, we're not woke around here because we never went to sleep in the first place. They cast him out. They cast him out. But he knew what it was like to experience the love and warmth of God and everybody else had rejected him. In verse number 35, Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. And when he had found him, what about that? Jesus heard they'd cast this blind man out. That was healed. He wasn't a blind man anymore. He was a seeing man. Jesus heard they'd cast him out. Jesus went and looked him up. Jesus went and found him. <laughs> See, nobody else in there got to experience that when God hunts you down. Come on now. And Jesus said in verse number 35, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? that I might believe on him. Well, that's, that's a good definition of receptiveness right there. Amen. You just tell me who he is, I'll believe on him. Amen. I'm from down south. Some of y'all didn't know that. <laughs> I was born in South Georgia, a place called Tifton. And down there, sometimes you have to just preach to people for months before they'll ever get saved. But there's some people just got to hear it one time. 
when we were missionaries in South Africa, there were so many people that were so eager, so eager, so hungry, so receptive. I'll never forget the first time I had a big old three-pole tent that would seat about 250. I put the tent up. I, I went right outside the township, and I got my weed eater, and I cut me a big old section of safari grass about that tall. I cut a big old swath of grass out, set that tent up. And I preached every night. First night, I preached for about 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, just worked up a lather, just preaching the gospel. Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. Just as simple, as simple, because English was like their third, I mean, third, fourth language. Most of those African people speak like four, five, six languages. I'm preaching real slow, like I was preaching to children, using simple words. I was explaining biblical terms. And boy, I just preached the salvation message as crystal clear as I could. And when I got finished, I said, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. If there's somebody here tonight that would say, Pastor Shifflett, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you just get up and come forward? And about 50 people just got up and started coming down the aisles. Scared me to death. I have never seen that many people respond to an altar call. They didn't tell me how to deal with that in Bible college. You know what I did? I said, oh, no, y'all go, go back to your seat. Everybody go back to your seat. Everybody go back to your seat. I don't think y'all understood what I said. And I commenced to preach again for about 15 minutes and explain what we were doing here. Now that I've explained it the second time, everybody that's here that wants to accept Christ as their Savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins, would you just come forward and here they come again? And I was like, oh, my goodness. And there was about 50 people standing around my pulpit just looking at me. And I looked at my wife. I was like, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I had this genius idea. I said, well, God knows why you're here. And you know why you're here. If you're serious, won't you get down on your knees right now and you just tell him what you come down here for. And boy, they all hit the ground and they were crying and they were weeping and they were stomping. I was going, I ain't never seen this before. People that were receptive to the gospel, that's what this man did in this verse. He said, if you will just tell me who he is in verse 36, I'll believe on him. I love what Jesus said in verse number 37. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. <laughs> that was something nobody else in that story knew. For the Son of God to look him up and talk to him and reveal himself to them so he could be saved. Look at verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So God not only healed him of his physical blindness, <laughs> he healed him of his spiritual blindness. Can I say it? Best thing ever happened to this man was getting kicked out of the church. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to him was for him to look at that crowd of experts and say, listen, I don't know a whole lot about it. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where he came from. I don't know his name. I don't know where he's from. I don't know anything about him. All I know is he touched me and he changed my life. And I thought to myself, well, he knew more than anybody else there. There may be somebody here tonight. You think you know a lot. You think you know a lot about this Bible. You've sat through Bible studies and messages and you've read the Bible. You know, some of the, some of the most faithful Bible readers and Bible students are on death row in the prison. 
I've been in maximum security prisons and been asked questions that I was like, whoa, I don't know about that. Some old boy had been spending some time in the book. Lost as a ball in high weeds. But reading that Bible, reading books, listening to radio broadcasts, a head knowledge. Paul said like this, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because you can't know the truth till you know Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Until you know Jesus, you can't know the truth. So you can have a whole lot of useless information up here. You can be able to take that Bible and turn it inside out and quote scripture and know everything about all those things in the Bible and still die lost and go to hell if you don't know the one thing that you need to know. And that is the transforming power, transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life. So many people, get, they miss the simplicity of salvation. I never get tired of telling my testimony. I won't tell my whole testimony, but I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior in 1976. I was four years old. I tell people, I said, my only regret is that I didn't get saved sooner. But I got saved, Sister Deanna. I believe I got saved. I believe I got saved the first time I realized I was lost. And my mama didn't raise no dummy. And I was sitting there and I found out I was lost and going to hell because I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Can I get a witness? I heard a man one time say, I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. You should have seen his wife across the room going, oh, you liar. <laughs> We're all sinners. I, when I was four years old, I knew I was a sinner. My heart condemned me. Holy Spirit of God convicted me. And the preacher's preaching and told me that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for my sin so I wouldn't have to go to hell and that it was free and all I had to do was put my faith and trust in Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for me. Believe it by faith that Jesus was buried and that he resurrected the third day and that he died for me and that he was my substitute and that if I would believe that by faith, just reach out and accept the gift of salvation, I wouldn't die and go to hell, but I could spend eternity in heaven. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a no-brainer. And there are people all over this planet tonight that know that right there. They knew that right there years ago, but they're still studying. Still studying. I hate, I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably 75%, if not more, of the professors in these Bible seminaries have never been born again. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the importance of the blood. They deny the resurrection. They deny the Bible's inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. And they stand up there with their arrogant pride, correct the word of God like they know more than God does. They deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They deny the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can't be saved and deny all that. Yet they're teaching in the seminaries. They're teaching in these Bible colleges all across America. And they know a lot of things about a lot of things, but they don't know the one thing that you got to know to get to heaven. And that is that Jesus Christ can save you your soul, change your life, change your eternal destiny. That's the one thing you need to know tonight if you don't learn anything else. You don't have to be a Bible expert to be saved. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't even got to know all the questions, but you do have to know this. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Salvation's free through the faith 
and the, putting faith in the, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, coming to him with nothing in your hands. The song says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel message. And something supernatural takes place, just like the blind man's eyes beginning to function and to work after years of being blind. Something happens. God reaches down into that lost soul and quickens you and raises you from the dead spiritually, and you become a child of God, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and now God's your Father, and heaven's your home, and that is something that you cannot live without knowing and experiencing if you want to go to heaven when you die. I want to ask you to do something for me tonight. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Our pianist is coming. He's going to play something on the piano.